I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We are going back to the hive for season five of The, the Connor and Smith Show. Uh, we are so excited to talk to. Drum roll, please. <laughs> That's an interesting case. Anthony Wayne. We are so super excited to talk to Anthony uh, today. Um, we are going to take a break and we will be right back. Hello. Hello. Hi, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Stephen? I'm good. I'm sitting here with my husband and co-host, Matt Connor. Hey, 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 Matt. hey. What up, Matt? How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm fabulous, sir. And our producer, Ryan Dean Halbrook. Hello, Mr. Wayne. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. So we're all a bunch of SU alum yeah. um, sitting around in this season five talking and trying to catch up with all of our alum, where they're at, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You are in the New York City, correct? That is correct. Yes. I live in Harlem. Honey. All right. Harlem. And you also have a puggle. I had a puggle. He passed away in September. Oh, oh no. no. I just was reading your bio. It's all good. Yes. I had a puggle. He... He was amazing. He was about to turn 10 in September, in October, but in September, he, the cancer that he had just spread. And, uh, and then, um, I had to kind of let him go, but it's all good. He's still here with me, you know, barking along. Right. <laughs> we are pug people in this house. We have had, we have two now. We had one before we passed away mm -hmm. in 2015. And yeah, we, we love pugs, puggles, all kinds of little uh smush face beasties yes yes um you are originally from norfolk correct yes i was born in richmond virginia but i was raised in norfolk since i was two so anthony can you take us back to young anthony what was your like ring of keys moment where you knew you wanted to be in show business how did that come about Oh, um, well, I was always a lot of energy. I was always running around and singing and, and like wanting attention when I was a kid. And so my mother saw a uh, children's theater company called Center Stage, which was produced by this woman named Margie Day Walker. She was a, a, a blues singer in the 1960s, kind of like Sarah Vaughn mm -hmm. or anybody, like someone along those lines. And um, she... She actually, when she was singing, she decided to stop singing because she felt like it was a calling, a spiritual calling in her life to give back to kids, uh, to do, to start a children's theater company in Norfolk, which is where she was from. So when my mother went to see an event, uh, a night with a friend of hers, there was some kids performing, the group of kids were performing. And my mother was like, oh, how do I get my son into this program? And so the woman gave her a number and then uh, they had a summer intensive program. And then my mother put myself and my older brother inside of it. And my brother stopped doing it after that first year, but I just kept on going. And so it was training of, you know, uh, public speaking, dancing, you dance, tap, you know, and things that would kind of just take up all the energy that you had. So you could, uh, so that when you got home, you were tired and your parents were like, okay, just lay down. So, um, so after that, I, I started learning how to really just 
put my talents to use, but I didn't know that's what I was doing. I was just enjoying myself. And, um, and then that, that's how it started. But to answer your question, it, the thing that made me say, I want to do this for the rest of my life was, uh, I was in the governor's school for the arts in Norfolk, Virginia, and we had trips where we would go to New York and, um, and I came to see Fosse the the Broadway show before it before it opened they were in previews January 1999 is when it happened and I saw that with a woman named Tiffany Howard and I said wow that's what I want to do for the rest of my life because I remember seeing Jane Lanier and Valerie Pettiford and Desmond Richardson and just all those amazing artists who changed my life um, and so I was grateful to Bob Fosse who eventually I found out um, and eventually I started realizing that that style was good on my body, which eventually led me into doing Pippin like later in life, which I didn't know was going to happen. So, yeah. Um, Join us. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a funny side note because Pippin frequently comes up in this podcast because that's the first show. That was the first show of my freshman year. That's where I met Matthew and Ryan uh-huh. at, at Shenandoah. Um, so Pippin holds a very special place in this household. We don't like to talk to people who haven't done Pippin and don't have and, and who don't have dogs. Understood. Understood. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the uh, the bar. The right. Is- that is the prerequisite. Um, how'd you get to Shenandoah? Uh, or did you I- have other other colleges that you were looking at besides Shenandoah? I did have other colleges. The other college I was going to go to was University of Cincinnati for pre-law because I wanted to be a lawyer. Mm. <laughs> they have and, a musical theater uh, program as well. Yeah, well, I, I didn't get in for that program, ironically. I got into pre-law, which is was so funny. And then I also was up for University of the Arts. So I was trying to figure out where I belonged and what I wanted to do. And so I auditioned for Shenandoah. I uh, heard about it because at the time, Right before I went to college, I was I was at like I told you about before I was high school, and I did something called the universe, the Governor School for the Arts, uh, uh, the Governor School for the Arts and Humanities, which was a summer program at the University of Richmond. Mm-hmm. That was my first my first venture into something that was collegiate, and so when I did that, I, I trained with a woman named Lorraine Graves, who was a principal dancer at the Governor. I mean, uh, at um, Dance Theater of Harlem. And she changed my life, too, because then I realized that dance was something that was really important to me. It was another way of, of, of acting with without speaking and telling a story. So I found that I really enjoyed that. So ballet became the basis of, of my, my movement. And then it changed uh, the trajectory of how I was going to tell storytelling at the Governor's School for the Arts, which was my high school at the time, too. And so um, I found myself moving into an area where it was like, I definitely want to do theater. So I heard about Shenandoah, but I didn't know if it was a place I really wanted to be because it was a private college. It was collegiate I mean, a Catholic. And, you know, and, and, to, and to be honest, if we're being totally transparent here, I knew that it was a predominantly Caucasian demographic that was going to be there in the Shenandoah Valley. So I, did, I wasn't really thinking in those terms back then. I was just, you know, because I definitely wanted to go to a historically black college. I wanted to go to Howard. I wanted to go to Morehouse. I wanted to go to Morgan State. I wanted to do something that was going to be, you know, me like that. But I also wanted to do something that was musical theater that I enjoyed. And uh, Shenandoah kind of seemed to fit the bill because when I got there, I realized that I was um, 
that I enjoyed the space uh, of being away, but not being too far away. So, um, yeah, I was really not too far from D.C., so it was cool for me to be just in the space of of um, theater folk, but learning what I needed to learn. Um, so, yeah, that's how that happened. And what did you get there uh, in 1999? I'm trying to remember. Yes, it was the fall of 99. No, I'm sorry, I graduated spring of 99. And so, um, I'm sorry, if you hear the noise, I don't know if you can hear that. It's my radiator because you're not, it's the New York radiator. Um, <laughs> so do you hear that? No. It's all right. If you hear grumbles and snores, it's the, the Virginia pugs. So. Understood. <laughs> so we both got sounds going on in the background. It's totally fine. Okay. Um, repeat the question one more time. I'm sorry. So you said... So you were you came around in 2000 then? No, right? no, no. I graduated from high, from high school the spring of 99. And I came to Shenandoah the fall. fall of the fall of 99. So I was there for four years. So yeah. I got in there right when Lindy, Miss Herman, Mrs. Herman had left, I believe. And then uh, Ms. Hal was there, you know, taking over, doing all the things. And the building was just about to be built, if I'm not mistaken. So you all were there kind of like laying the, the foundation and I was there just trying to figure it out, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, I had heard about Shenandoah and then when I came up to visit to, to, you know, audition, I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. That was so pretty. And, um, and it was exactly where I needed to be. So, you know, and, and what I tell kids these days is you get out of it what you put into it. So, you know, auditioning and, and trying to go where you feel like you want to be may not, may not be exactly where you need to be. But it, for me, and so many people have said this, oh, it's the willow trees by the little stream. It's so mm. pretty. <laughs> you know, for me, it was, it was the geese. It was yeah. the geese and the shit everywhere. The Can geese. I say that? Yeah, <laughs> there was geese shit everywhere. everywhere. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, so... I was only there briefly while you were there. Mm -hmm. um, what was the rest? What was your, I mean, sum up your experience at SU. Like, what were your, like, main takeaways from being there? You know, what's so funny is, boy, I don't know if you've been back recently, but those kids have it all now. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't so much the case when we were there. But but what were your kind of, uh, what are the things that kind of remain in your toolkit to this day that you took from SU? Uh, you know, I, I learned how to really balance things that make sense because, you know, you, you're in this structured environment of dance and singing. Like uh, one of the things that I really wanted to do because I really love dance, I felt like the dance department wasn't as strong as I needed it to be for musical theater. Mm -hmm. And um, so I would dance with the dance majors and then I would do do my vocal stuff with the, you know, our our voice teachers who were like operatically trained but then we would do you know musical theater work and we would do the shows and things like that so I think learning how to balance my life in a way that made sense was helpful um it was cool to to actually be with people who had done things you know, like our teachers had done some, you know, at the Broadway or, you know, was working at the Kennedy Center or what have you. So just trying to uh, take what they were giving you and try to implement it into your own life. That's was something that I tried to find myself, you know, I, I carry with me, you know, utilizing what they're going to give you, pouring into you so that you can pour into others. 
So, um, yeah, I, I enjoy, I, I found that. Um, of course, you know, there are more things that you wish you would have had at the time, but um, I, I, I took what I needed to take. And I think a sense of camaraderie was enjoyable because, and I, like we said, we're being transparent here. I didn't see a lot of people of color back then. And so I was just enjoying the time that I had there with the people who were there. You know what I'm saying? And and so we we were there to do the work. We were there to learn about the craft. And that's that's what I was really focused on. And so once I once I kind of just focused on that, I found myself um, you know, utilizing that in my life to just focus on the work and everything else will kind of come to fruition. And, you know, you brought up something that kind of, you started something that, that got my mind going down a different path, which was um, vocal teachers and vocal training. Mm. And I know even when I was there in the last few years, I had a teacher who was not one of the tried and trues there, but somebody who was just kind of there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Her name was Erin Halger. And she was, um, she did like trouser rolls at the Met Opera. Mm-hmm. And she was like just doing some teaching in, in her downtime. She was the best voice teacher I ever had because she was, and I hate to say this, this sounds unkind, but she was under 35. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had an idea of the outside world a little clearer. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the musical theater degree um started what in the 70s i believe and Mm -hmm. then kind of musical theater as a medium changed so drastically every 10 years it changed if not shorter than that Mm -hmm. and styles of singing changed um and there's several landmark albums that you can think of whether it's rent whether it's sideshow uh where literally the the artists featured on those recordings everyone then emulated and they changed the style of singing mm-hmm. and changed the goals and ideals of what everybody lived up to uh, ranges expanded. Um, you could no longer be in the business as a tenor if you did not have a high B or high C. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just like, okay. And voice studio wise, we were always taught a basis in classical will help you do everything else. Mm-hmm. But then the execution of that, was not conveyed as well like okay i've got the basis in classical how how do i sing like this because without sounding like i'm classical um and i think and i I remember in the last year i was there saying you realize that i need to learn how to sing this kind of stuff because the second i get out of here i'm not going to be singing a wandering minstrel eye you know Mm -hmm. i'm not going to be singing art song 16 bars i've got to park and bark belt and skrelt and i've got to learn how to do that um and that i mean did you find that you had a good enough basis vocally to kind of get out there did i mean the classical helps but you know the shows that the contemporary shows that we were then released into the world to audition for did you feel prepared for that hmm no no i did not I think yeah. there were, I think, because I had worked with uh, an Asian gentleman named Tian Zuzhou, mm-hmm. and, and he was there for, I think, the beginning parts of my years. But then I think my junior, senior year, I ended up working with Jackson Sheets. And so for me to be able to understand my voice in a different way was helpful. 
but it did not help my career forward um, with the knowledge of how to use my voice in a way that wasn't opera. But I do have to say that having the opera training was helpful to know, especially as I got into the, the New York lifestyle, I did, I did know, I did have that tool in my tool belt. So mm-hmm. I was grateful for it. Cause like, instead of me, like now I know that I could do, I can do sport and life in Porgy and Bass if need be, but I can also do like a loud rock Broadway situation if I wanted to, as well as, as I can do something in carousel if I wanted to too. So it's, I think it's, I think that's what college is for. I think it's for it's Shenandoah specifically. I think it's for you to get all the tools in your tool belt so you're prepared for whatever it comes because they don't know what kind of career you're going to have. So, so for you to just kind of have it with you, it's up to you to take it and build it in a way that's going to help you be even more uh, hireable for lack of a word, lack of a better term. So like, like I, I know honestly, cause uh, I'm sure maybe we'll get into this later, but I wrote a musical about this disco singer named Sylvester. It was called yes. Mighty, Mighty. <laughs> it's called Mighty Real, the fabulous Sylvester musical. And so, I didn't know that I was going to be using that part of my voice, my counter tenor, in a way that was going to change my life. But I do owe that to Jackson Sheets, and I do owe that to you know uh, Donna Goldstrand or even uh, Michael Forrest or just people who I would watch at a um, at a breath of study and I would like watch and just listen and pay attention and I would see how they're using their voice and, and not even just how they're doing it, but what kind of story are they telling and how they're going to utilize their talent to tell the best story in the best way. And so it's bigger than just, you know, what they're going to do for you. It's more about what are you going to do with what's given to you? You know? And the opera training did help uh, also build up the stamina that you need to get through a long run or a long mm-hmm. weekend. Uh, yeah. Be- because you always have that placement that you can fall back on to go, oh, let me sip this in my mix. Yeah, to get for through sure. The matinee. Yeah. And if you and if you don't know how to do that, then you're just going to hurt yourself and then you sound crazy because because <laughs> now you call it out and you can get through one one or two shows a week and you're not marketable. It's crazy. So. Mm-hmm. Ryan, you have something? Well, no, I was just going to say, uh, so you took all of that. And then what was your first step after Shenandoah? Did you go straight to New York? Well, I did Southeastern Theater Conference. I did SETC, which oh. was, I'm sure people, uh, whoever's listening, know know about that or maybe not. It's, uh, I, don't know if it's, I don't even know if it's still around, but it was a theater conference that they would have in different places on the Southeast. Yeah, no, and, I remember. Yeah. yeah. So they had it in D.C. or like Northern Virginia at the time. And so when I went... I was able to go and just audition for a bunch of people that had summer stocks around the country or had national tours. And there were a lot of non-union uh, touring companies. There's Phoenix, Phoenix Entertainment. It was called Phoenix Productions at the time. Oh, there, yeah. was, there was Troika. There was Networks. There was Big Lee. It was like all of these companies that you had the chance to be a part of. And so when I, when I went... Phoenix happened to see me. It was a gentleman named Mark Minnick. Who- yes, we know Mark. <laughs> I was going to ask if you know Mark. We know Mark, yes. So Mark Minnick had changed a lot of lives, and, and mine was one of the ones who he changed too. So I'm really grateful to Mark because he had an eye of seeing talent and still does to this day, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's still living in Northern Virginia Toby's doing work as Toby's, well. Toby's, yeah. Yeah, Toby's. And so, um, Wait, were you in his color purple? No, no, no. I did his, uh, him and Michael McFadden, Stephen Kane. I did their 
Fame, the musical. So that was yeah. the show that I did. So I did. I was Tyrone in their Fame. So that was in two thousand three. So the fall of. So I graduated in two thousand three, and so that fall I ended up um, going to, touring the country. So I toured the country. But I have to say this tidbit: in in the interim, in between, I was working at Dairy Queen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Right, right there in Winchester. I, right, uh, no, actually, I was working at the one in Martinsburg. My best friend, Courtney Love, uh, who I, I'm sure you all probably know. Or maybe mm-hmm. Courtney J, J. Love, he uh, was working out there with Sean Spivy and a bunch of other people we know. So, uh, you cones and stuff? Yes, I was right. the cones, but the butterscotch and, and the chocolate, yes, and, <laughs> and the cherry. Yes, so we was doing all that. So that was a transition for me. But it was very humbling to see how everybody's life uh, moves forward and how Dairy Queen was people's lives. You know, that people were working and going home, working and going home, but I knew that I was going to be traveling the country. And so it kind of humbled me in a way to understand that life still moves forward, but that everybody's journey is different and not to judge people for who they are, where they are. So, or how many sprinkles they get. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I ended up doing fame for a year. At, with Phoenix, non-union. If people know what non-union is, it means like you're not part of the actors' equity. You, you're, um, they can they can make whatever kind of rules they want, and you know. But this company really took care of us, and so I was there for a year doing that, and then um then I did Smokey Joe's Cafe with them, and then I ended up doing the Will Rogers Follies with them as well. So that was three years of my life that I devoted to this did non-union you company. Know Laurie Sailor. I do know Lori. Yes. Yeah, she, yeah. I was actually in Eugene, Oregon when you guys were doing Smokies. Oh yes, that she was a shimmy girl. She was fabulous. She yeah, was dope. Yeah. And so um so I did that with them and uh, that was my first turn of learning how to be a swing and a dance captain. So I, I did that for a while. I just I just did that's why I tell kids these days, I'm like, don't just try to come to Broadway. Do what you can outside. Like work at work at Bush Gardens, which is something that I did too. I don't know if I mentioned that. I worked at Bush Gardens the summer of ninety nine and the summer of two thousand while I was at Shenandoah. And that was a joy. Um and then and then like I said, you you just pick up everything that you need to pick up. So when I was touring with those companies, I I met many people and toured around the country, went overseas to Japan and Tokyo and 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 um and even South Korea. It was a joy to really just kind of just have the freedom to do all of that. And then um and then I then one day we were on tour with Will Rogers Follies. And but actually before I joined them, I said, I don't know if I'm gonna stay long. So I don't want to sign for a year. I just want to sign for like six months. So I did that and one day one day we were on the in the on the bus and we had a show, I think it was in Schenectady or something. And I remember looking out the window and seeing the New York skyline. And I said, wow. I want to be there. That's going to be home one day. And I, and that was the day that I decided to leave Phoenix. And I remember, and I called, I think it was uh, Mark Minnick or Stephen Bishop, one of the two. And I said, um, and I, I remember talking to our director, Stephen Minning, as well. And I said, um, I think I'm going to leave in February. So that's what happened. So I ended up calling my friend who lived in Astoria. I went to go. I said, listen, can I, I just need six months to stay on your living room floor. She had a one-bedroom basement apartment in Astoria. And so uh, she said, come on. So that February, we had a show upstate. And then Stephen Minning, who was the director at the time, from, yeah, he, from Will Rogers Foss, yep, he drove me down because he was going back into the city himself. He drove me down and I got out of his car and that was the beginning of my New York life. Wow. Did music start playing when you stepped out of the car? And 
No, a rat ran over my foot. That's what happened. <laughs> Welcome to New York, motherfucker. I was like, oh, I took a deep breath and I coughed from the smog, honey. <laughs> it was fabulous. <laughs> so so you're in New York, you got uh you're you're sleeping on the floor. What what is the next progression? What what happened next? I was auditioning like crazy. I was standing outside for like hours at a time trying to get seen. I was at Chelsea Studios when it was Chelsea Studios. I was trying to get people to know who Anthony Wayne was. And to and to go back, my my real name is Anthony Wayne Green. Green is my last name. So I changed it long time ago um, when I was working at Hurrah Players, which is a children's theater when I was at, uh, in Virginia. And I remember signing, I was, I was playing Aladdin at the time, and I was signing autographs and people were waiting so long to speak to you know the actors and so I was always the last one to leave because I was signing Anthony Wayne Green Anthony Wayne Green so I said I think I'm going to change this so I just kind of made it Anthony Wayne is my mother's Anthony is my grandmother's my mother's mother's maiden name and Green Wayne is my father's middle name so I just put them together and I wanted to share the world with both of them so that's how that happened and so I was like New York and then I ended up doing um, a show called Once in This Island which I ended up doing eventually on Broadway, the revival. But I did that at, at the Brook, the Gallery Players in Brooklyn. That's what it was called. And I wasn't getting paid nothing. I wasn't getting paid nothing. All I, all they gave me was a metro card to get to and from. And I, but I loved it. I was in bliss. And so I went and I was playing Papa Gay, and I met great people. And and then, um, then next thing you know, I was just trying to fight to get seen. And long story short, I went to an open call for. The Color Purple, which was on Broadway at the time. This is 2005, 2006. Yeah, 2006. And then I ended up getting the first national of that. But but right but right before then, I had auditioned for all these shows as a non-equity person, just, just breaking, like waiting at the equity building for hours. And I got into a couple of shows, which gave me my equity card, which was Beauty and the Beast, the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. That was in the fall of 2006. And then the spring of 2007, that January, I did Swing at Tuts in Houston, which led me into that February and March going into Chicago, going to Chicago with the color purple. And that that's when my life totally shifted. And did you come through D.C. with that tour? No, I stayed with the color purple for a year. Uh, I only did that. I did Chicago for eight, nine months. And then we went to we went to. Uh, San Francisco, and uh, yeah, at the and then we went to LA, and yeah, we went to the Amundsen in LA, and we went to San Francisco. I think it was the Orpheum, and then we went to uh, Tempe, Arizona, the the Gamage Auditorium. So it was I only went to four cities with that tour because right before then, when we were in LA, I flew to New York to audition for the first national of a chorus line, mm. and so when I flew across the country, N N Nicole Valens, I'll never forget her. She She's the one who kind of pushed me to do that. So I, I went across the country twice on my days off and flew back just in time enough to do all the eight shows of the week. And she calls me and she's like, you got it. And so I left the line, the color purple from an all black company to being with the chorus line to being the only one. So that was that was an adjustment for me. And did and I, you did you learn all the the chorus line uh, audition combo and stuff uh, from Mary Robert back at SU? Yes, yes, we did. That's a good connection. I did do that with Mary Robert. I did do that. Um, she and I felt like something was different when I was doing a choreography. She she taught us the Cassie dance, so I was doing all of that back then. Um, but it wasn't until 
until I got into the first national that I learned from Bob Avian and by York Lee and ends up meeting, you know, people who I would spend the rest of my life loving and, and dancing beside. So I did that tour for a year and a half and I haven't done a chorus line anymore without by York. So okay. Bob just died not long ago. That was sad. And, you know, I, I just feel like I've, I learned from the nectar of, of, what it really was so i was grateful for that so i i, I do audition i do master classes teaching that kind of work and you know i'm really grateful to be to have had that experience you know i i said this story in the mary robert episode that is yet to air but i'll just side note it quick i've worked with byrk twice mm. and um uh we we had a love-hate relationship with each other mm. um where i think that she wanted me in ensembles for other reasons and I was not the dancer that was up to par with what she would like but she needed me for other things mm -hmm. and she would have her 8 a.m warm-ups and <laughs> yes. I would be laying on the ground and she would she would get and we would be kicking you know while laying down and she'd get over my head and say kick me kick me <laughs> did you really want to kick her my leg never went so high, Anthony. It never went so high. I understood. I understood. No matter how short he, no short she is, I understand. I, I, right, right. It was, it was still high for me. I, I remember at a cast party, uh, at the first show I worked with her, I did Gypsy with her. The second show I did Damn Yankees at Arena Stage. But on the first show, I thought I'm never working with this woman again mm -hmm. because at the cast party, I was like, well, hey, um, thank you for the opportunity. Sorry if, uh she wanted us to do these cartwheels while wearing tuxedos that had tails. It just doesn't work well. Understood. You know, people were getting caught up on shit and it was on a cement floor. And anyway, the cartwheels got cut because it was blamed on me. But anyway, nobody could do them <laughs> in the tails. And I said, sorry about the cartwheels and stuff. And she said, well, and I said, I'm sorry if I'm not the dancer you want. And she said, well, you'll never do a chorus line. <gasps> And I said, wow. and I said, oh, I never want to. Wow. Yeah, she could, she can be pretty, you know, pretty, pretty honest. She's, well, I was pretty honest right back. And there I think, you go. I think the sword cut both ways. And I think because of that honesty, she hired me a second time. Uh, right. There you go. Well, you know, you never know what you're going to get. That's what I say. But she she definitely is no nonsense. She she remembers everything. She remembers everybody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's, I think she's in her late 60s now. But she just won a Tony. And she actually did her chorus line. Because um, I did that in 2008. And then uh, that was a tour. And then I did uh, the one at City Center in 2018. Mm-hmm which was recent. So that was, that was a, a, a joy to do, but you know, she remembers and you know, it was, it was a, it was an experience that show. And I, I, I would still do it. Actually asked me about doing it sometime this summer, but I can't do it this summer because I just got cast another show, but I'll tell you about that in a second. Okay. Okay. All right. I love a little uh, preview. Um, so your Broadway credits include anything goes once on this island that we already pre-talked about a little priscilla queen of the desert mm -hmm. pippin and tootsie mm -hmm. um which came first anthony anything goes was first i auditioned for that and i didn't i didn't know if i was going to get it um because i've been doing some stuff like here in the in the city regionally 
And I mean, some stuff in the city just here or there, meeting different di- directors, meeting, you know, Casey Nicola or meeting uh, Kathleen Marshall or even meeting Stro, I mean, Susan Stroman, or just meeting different people in different facets. And I didn't know that meeting those people were going to evolve to working with them in a bigger context, even work with Dennis Jones or, um, you know, just different people who you didn't know you were going to see later in life. And so when I auditioned for Anything Goes, um, I was staying with my good friend because I had finished the course line. I was I was staying on the Upper West and I didn't know what was going to be next. And so when I got it, I was really happy to get it. But I also knew it was a limited engagement because there are three, the three non, non, uh, what's it called? Um, the, the companies that are uh, nonprofit corp companies it's like manhattan theater Com- manhattan theater club roundabout and uh, i think there's one more they all uh lincoln the- lincoln center theater they're all yeah. non-profit they're non-profit so they usually do like limited engagement runs and so anything goes with a limited engagement run for roundabout during that year and i knew that there were good that there were people in it. i know sutton was in it i know joel gray was in it i knew that you know people were in it and so when when I heard I got it, I was like, okay, well, I don't know how long this is gonna last. So I went and we had rehearsal on stage at Studio Fifty Four in the theater, which was life changing. And we we had like it was very old school. We had mirrors that were rolled out, and we were learning the combination. And Kathleen was there, and we were just doing our thing. And I was just living in the moment, and I it didn't feel real. It it, it was a joy. And then um, then once we opened. Little did I know that that the Tony nominations would change everything. So, so you know, the reviews came out, and next thing you know, we were extended and extended and extended. I said, "Well, I guess it's time for me to get an apartment now." Right. <laughs> so that's so that's what I did. So that's when I got this apartment I'm in now in Harlem. Yeah. And anything goes. That was uh, Sutton Foster, correct? Yes. Yes. You know, she'll she might go somewhere someday. Yeah, Sutton. she'll she'll work a little bit. <laughs> um what was the next progression was it pippin no it was priscilla queen of the desert it i heard priscilla. yeah i heard from my friend named michael scotto and um he uh no michael scotto i'm sorry um eric eric scotto sorry my bad eric scotto was in the show at the time he was a dance captain i remember him he and i had did anyone can whistle at city center and he had put a bug in my ear saying hey we're looking for a guy because one of our guys are leaving from priscilla and you should tell your agent. So I told my agent, did I have an agent at the time? No. He was like, I think I had an agent. I don't remember. You know, I, I remember you from what we were doing. You know, you should put in for this. So I put in for it and and I went and auditioned. And next thing you know, I think it was all about what fit too. Because I know a couple of other people here who were trying on the outfits. Because Priscilla was very much outfit, outfit bound. Huge corsets and, you know, lizard outfits and it's like umbrella outfits and cake outfits. It was a lot going on. And so um, so I tried on the outfits after the audition and next thing you know, I got a call and I got it. So I did the last six months of that. And right before I was about to finish, I heard there was a regional theater production at ART for Pippin. And so I went in and then I ended up getting that because I was very motivated still by Ben Vereen, who I was inspired by. Ben Vereen, uh, Greg Burge, all those old school people who were amazing and so i i remember um auditioning for that thinking about that and then i found out that it was 
that when I when I got to ART, I found out Chet Walker was choreographing, and then Diane Paulus was doing the direction. And I didn't really think anything of it. I was just kind of in the moment. But then also, I didn't understand that it was also Charlotte Dumois and Terrence Mann and Bettina Miller and just even Andrea Martin. It was like you just all these people who you just are meeting, who I who I'm close with today for sure. It was just my 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 world was just growing. And little did I know, though, that people were watching me as I was watching my career grow. Because, you know, you're not focused on being uh, what people want to see. You're focused on doing what you need to do to get the next check or the next thing you need to do to work. And so once Pippin opened at ART and I heard we were going to Broadway, it was like it just happened. My third Broadway show just happened. And I was really grateful. And then they transferred all of us. We were at the music box. And the reviews came out and it just, it was life-changing. Yeah. Um, just to rewind for a second, we're in Priscilla. My friend Ellen Marie Marsh was a swing for that. <laughs> and Ellen Marie Marsh and I met at Bush Gardens, Williamsburg. She was in Damn Yankees that Bayork did with me at Arena Stage. Okay. And my favorite Ellen Marie Marsh story is she was at some audition and she said, you know, I was at this audition and it was going well. And I was like, kakank, kakank, kakank. And they were like, kakut. <laughs> and that's my favorite Ellen Marie Marsh story. Um, yeah. Ellen Marie Marsh, we, 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 we had some really good times at Bush Gardens. I can imagine. A I had joy. She's, a, she's a great, great lady. I enjoyed spending time with her when we did. Um, mm -hmm. So the Pippin... Uh, I mean, just so iconic again to be uh, you're, you're in that Fosse movement style that you were watching when mm -hmm. you were watching the Fosse show, having that moment. Like, how is it like, are you just living your best life with that movement sitting in your body, the show itself with such a great history? Like, was it like one of your pinnacles moments, would you say? It was one of them, I have to say, because I was because I did the Manson Trio mm. and I was able to do that with um, Andrew Fitch as well as Patina Miller. So we were I knew when we were doing the movement at 890 Broadway, I knew that 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 it fit for me. Mind you, all that stuff, like I told you from from Lorraine Graves, even from oh, because oh, I did a summer intensive at the Ailey School too in 2001. So that was in between when I was at Shenandoah. I would come back and I would just be different at school because my body was different and I had been training all summer. So that stuff I had learned at Ailey. And I also went to the Gus Giordano Jazz Dance Chicago in Evanston, Illinois the summer before I graduated. So it was like I was taking modern and jazz and tap and then i was also doing the jazz at giordano and learned the different styles and just there was all this all this stuff this language in my body which i was able to use um to do that work and so it just that's why i tell these kids these days i'm like listen just continue to learn continue to put as much information in your body as you can so that's that's what i was doing um, back then so but but doing that show definitely was a highlight of my life and so even when I did Anything Goes on the Tony Awards or even uh, Pippin on the Tony Awards it was like wow we're here and this is uh, I'm really grateful um, you know another part of it and I'll share this with you too my mother passed away of breast cancer in 2013 mm. and so um, during that time 
I had, I was kind of going through a lot personally, even though career stuff was happening, I was trying to figure out who I was and what I needed. And, and a lot of times we as artists put on so many layers of, of, of characters and do different shows. And we're always doing what the director wants wants us to do what the music director wants us to sing and how we're supposed to act and what we're supposed to be that you don't make time to make time for yourself and I don't I think that's what was an issue for me over time not making time for life and I think we learned that so late as artists because we're so intrigued by what people want from us and the validation of what people need from us and so I find myself I found myself uh, especially when my mother passed kind of blaming myself because I wish I had made more time. And even though she was like the most motivating person, was like, go do your stuff. And if you're there, I'm there. And so she saw anything goes. And she was the only black woman in the in the orchestra, honey, waving her hand saying, that's my baby. <laughs> but um, but, but um, when she passed, uh, I was very heartbroken for a long time. And, um, and I found myself just trying to figure out who I was without her. And, um, and just wishing that I would have been able to have been in Norfolk, Virginia to take her to her chemotherapy appointments, to take her to get her port put in, to take her to go, you know, uh, go see her friends or something like that. So that stayed with me for a long time until until I found myself just forgiving myself and healing myself, which took time. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard uh, to balance the life of of an artist and, and be um find the me time for not only yourself, but your family and, and your friendships. It's something you have to work at. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not always available. Um, right. So I think it's more about kind of what I said earlier, finding that balance of making time. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I tell people these days, I said, you know, you can't, you can do everything you want. You want. You can do every, anything in the world. Absolutely. But you can't do four things at the same time because you're only going to give 25% to all four of them. So it's more about making sure that you balance things in a way that makes sense so that you can give 100% of yourself to, to, to reach the goal. You know, it's about setting the goal, but also figuring out what the structure is to get to the goal. Being discerning of the people that you want to keep around you to help you get to the goal and, and, and following it all the way through. Because if you don't, then you're just going to have all this stuff and all these dreams and all these ambitions that you wanted to do and, and you'll never complete anything. So, uh, you know, which leads me to to the next thing, because I'll end up leaving Pippin. And I had this idea about the story about Sylvester. I saw it on TV once, Unsung. And, and I said, wow, somebody needs to tell his story. And I had a friend of mine who was like, well, maybe it should be you. And so I ended up writing a concert night of his story. And uh, my, my partner at the time, Kendrell, he is my producing partner. And we he saw me writing it and wanted to help. And so we ended up doing this concert night. And when I was in Priscilloqui in the desert, two of the women who came down singing It's Rain and Men, uh, and like the Weather Girls, ended up coming down and being my Martha Wash and Azura Rose. And so I was Sylvester. And we did a night, July 29, 2012, almost 10 years ago. And, um, and it changed everything because from there I started producing and started getting into, you know, being a boss and running my own business and, um, Leaving Broadway was hard, but I knew it was something I needed to do. And so you started being your own boss. Uh, how how was that journey? So that I remember that that concert when that was going down. Um, hmm. Hard to believe that's ten years ago. My God, um, 
what what has been the journey with your producing? Uh, I know that I, I want to get into Black Broadway Men mm-hmm. um, and uh, Phyllis Hyman, but tell me your your journey uh, when you kind of took that step. What was I mean? I know anything that you kind of start out on your own like that is scary because it's you and it's on you. Um, but but tell explain how that was for you. It was frightening. And I say that because I didn't know what I was doing, to, t- to be 100% honest. And I think that's what most people who sacrifice their life to, for their dreams and their passion, you're, you're, it's like on-the-job training. Because for so long, like I said before, you have people telling you what to do. You have a director, a stage manager, a general manager, a company manager, people telling you what to do and where to be and what time to be there. And here, you're the one who needs to tell everybody else what to do. So here I am just building the structure of what needs to happen, but I'm also the star of it. So I'm trying to figure out the balance of all of that, as well as the balance of my my personal relationship. So it was like trying to figure all of that out on the job. And it was it was frightening. And I use that word because there was so much responsibility laid on me, not even just with what I need to do, but also more about um, the, 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 the legacy of Sylvester's story was on my shoulders the legacy of this incredibly non-binary black gay man who 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 persevered through hiv and aids who persevered through the 70s and persevered through a time where you couldn't dress up and you couldn't be yourself and you couldn't have a voice and you couldn't be determined and you you know all of that you couldn't sing high it was all of that so to be resilient, I found I found resilience through his story, and so I was grateful to be able to bring it to life. But it was a lot of work, and so and so uh, we we had a lot of support though, which I was grateful for. Shirley Ralph, Miss Dream Girls herself, she came on board and helped you know get the word out about it, and we did a Kickstarter and raised money, and people helped us basically bring the show off Broadway. So I brought I produced it off Broadway in 2014 with Kendra Allen. And it kind of changed my life. It changed the trajectory of how people saw me. They didn't see me as a dancer or an ensemble boy. They saw me as Anthony Wayne Sylvester. And I've even had people ask me, oh, you can dance? <laughs> Which was so funny after time. But, you know, it's just funny. You, you have the power to change the trajectory of your career. But you have to do the work. And so I started doing a lot of more work about what needed to be done in the world. And not just how I can do the work as a producer, but what will my voice be and what kind of impact will I make? And so that's kind of where I'm at. And so that's what, that's where Black Broadway Men came from and all the other things, those things after. Yeah, can you uh, elaborate, especially on Black Broadway Men? Um, I'd love to hear a little more about that. Black Broadway Men is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that celebrates, educates, and motivates Black men of the Broadway and theater community by creating unity with each other, finding strength through educational opportunities like, you know, mental health programs and health and wellness and things like that. And then uh, embracing the legacy of those that have come before us because we are the legacy for those that come after us. A lot of people who are in theater, especially black men of color, um, have died in the 90s and then the 80s. And so we don't really know how to build the intergenerational connection to love each other and to speak to each other and to uh, support each other and to uplift each other without it either being with an intention or sexually motivated. Mm-hmm. That, that bothered me for a long time. And also because, um, you know, my, my father is still here, but, um, but uh, my father was not in the home at the time. 
And then also I have an older brother. So, you know, finding the, I'm, I'm a gay man. So finding that balance between how do I deal with black men? You know, how do I have a conversation with another black man? It was interesting for me to figure out because I didn't know how to balance that. Because most times I'm comfortable with women or other gay men or, you know, being in theater where I'm, where I'm equal, you know, where I'm, where I'm free. That's the word, where I'm free. And so trying to find that balance of how to connect with other black men in a way that was fruitful is something that I really felt like needed to be done. And so um, I was having a conversation with Ken, Ken Page, who's an icon himself. Mm. And I remember saying, wow, he was just giving me so much wisdom. I was like, how I wish there was other men who were here who could listen to what you're saying. Because he was just pouring into me and telling me his stories and just loving up on me and just giving me so much joy and um he's like a godfather to me so it's, there, there are specific people like that that i really keep close uh who who you know pour into me and so i was grateful to start that with these other incredible men who are part of the you know the group as well as um you know uh, james lane and uh sir brock warren just a bunch of other people who kind of came on and added their their ideas into the principles of what is so now we have a mentorship program we're starting we have a playground playwriting initiative we're working on and um we come together and we make things happen and we we support each other so i'm very happy about that that sounds so beautiful amazing yeah um Anthony, what happened to Anthony during the last two years? What happened to all of the movement and momentum of things? Did you have to pivot and learn how to bake bread? <laughs> well, it's funny. I do have a friend who makes bread. But I had to... Um, well, I'll go here. Back in 20, 2015, 2016, I actually stopped doing Mighty Real for a little bit because I felt like I lost myself. I felt like I was... I was doing everything for everyone else and everybody wanted to see Sylvester and everybody was like, I was doing so much and I just had to stop and make time for me. And so, um, so unfortunately my, my relationship ended in 2018, but I think that was something that was positive that I needed because I needed the transition. I needed to figure out who I was. I needed to make time for me and I had to, but I had to learn how to not feel guilty for being selfish to take care of myself. And I think that's what we do, unfortunately. We beat ourselves up for being selfish to take care of ourselves because we want to provide for others. We're in the business of service. So over the past few years, what I've been doing is trying to make sure that I take care of me so I can take care of my people close to me and then we can take care of the world. That's something I say, like, first, me first, then you, then the world. So, so like now I do certain things where I like, I get my nails done. I get my hair cut every week. And it's like, I get my feet massaged and, and I make sure I put money aside every week and just make sure that I'm good so that I can provide and give to others. Um, so, so over the past years, I did, I did learn how to do something. I've, even though all the skills that I've learned when I was producing, I put them to work because now I make websites. Uh, I didn't realize I had these skills. I create websites. I do editing work with video and audio work. And I did all of it and I put it all towards Black Broadway men. But I didn't know that all the things that I was learning as I was becoming a producer were going to make me like a one-man business. So so I, I make I make websites for other friends and people that I know. And, and that's kind of slowed down a little bit with the work that I've been doing. Um, but, you know, during the pandemic, we all were sitting down somewhere, not Great. doing nothing, trying to figure it out. Great. You mentioned something about something coming up. 
Yes. So, um, so when the pandemic came, you know, calmed down, what have you, and after, because I did once, I went back into Watson's Island in uh, 2018, and then I did Tootsie, for, as, as you guys mentioned, for about a year. We did in Chicago, and then I came and did it on Broadway. We closed January of 2020, and then the pandemic happened. So after the pandemic, not after, but you know, last year, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was talking to Casey Nicola. And he was telling me that he wanted me to do a workshop of a show called Ring-A-Ding-Ding, which used to be called Robin in the Seven Hoods. We did it in 2010 at the Old Globe before I did Anything Goes. And so him and Christian Borle have been working on an a adaptation of it and called Ring-A-Ding-Ding, which is like a Rat Pack musical. It was uh, Ring-A-Ding-Ding is a song by Frank Sinatra. It was Jimmy Con, Sammy Con and Jimmy Van Heusen music. And so we did that there. And so they evolved it to ring a ding ding. And so we did a workshop this past fall. But before the workshop ended, I went in for this call for a show called Some Like It High. And it was a, pre- a, a version of, it, was, it wasn't it was Sugar. It was um, another version of Some Like It High from the movie from back in the 50s with Marilyn Monroe and, and uh, Dean, I think it's, Tony Curtis. Tony Curtis. There you go. Tony Curtis. That sounds great. And so, um, so I did. So basically, he asked me to be a part of that, and so I did that. Um, some I, I did ring a ding ding in the fall and this into the winter, and then we just finished a six week workshop of some like it hot, which is coming to Broadway in the fall. So it's it's really going to be incredible. I'm happy to be a part, and so um, yeah, it'll be my my next situation, but. Truth be told, that kind of turned, that that changed because last Friday before last, I got a call to come in for the Tina Turner musical. Mm. And so I just found out I got it like two days ago. So All I'll right. Be- Congratulations. Thank you. So I'll be joining the company next week. I'll start rehearsal next week as Raymond, who plays Tina Turner's uh, love interest before she meets Ike. Steve Jones is going to scream. I know. I actually texted him and he was like losing it already. I was like, don't tell anybody. <laughs> but um, but we just finalized, we're finalizing a contract now. So I start rehearsing next week. So I, I think I go to um, a fitting next week. But, you know, it'll be my sixth Broadway show um, this you know coming up. And then, you know, something like a hot, God willing, we'll see what happens after that. And then, you know, hopefully Mighty Real will come in after that. And so, I mean, I also want to do TV and film work, but theater is where my heart is, you know? Yeah, uh, and it it just seems to me that the Mighty Real show, like when you started it 10 years ago, which I still can't get over, there weren't a lot of the conversations that are going on now about non-binary, about uh, a lot of the subjects that Sylvester brings up. And I think it just feels like it's time mm-hmm. for that for mm-hmm. that show to have uh, an excavation again and, and to, to really take a proper spotlight because it, I think it, it starts a lot of conversations um, mm-hmm. that are healthy. Absolutely. And I, and I, I have to be honest, but I don't think back then, I don't know if, if the world was prepared for where we were about to go, but I also think that it makes like with this time that we've waited, I think it's made the language a little more, you know, acceptable now um which i'm really happy about i also think that i'm prepared for it i, I really think that i'm set up for the experience of of everything that that we're going to be doing and i also think that we'll be able to be really really philanthropic with 
with how we can change the world and change the mindset without shoving it down people's throats. We can be very uh, fruitful in helping people um, learn what life is and, and what our lives are. And, and they can be really empathetic to someone who was going through certain things. And, you know, it's also really a lot of fun too. So, and like you mentioned earlier, like, you know, Kendra and I were still working together, but we have our Phyllis Hyman musical. We have our other show called The Soulful, Soulful Christmas that we do every holiday season. It's a 1970s disco holiday show. And then uh, we have another show called Kings and Queens of Soul. So most people go to anthonyken.com and they just, you know, go check out what we're doing. And I'm really happy and really grateful. I mean, I, I try to update my website, which is Mr. A. Wayne com and I tried to go to my website and just try to you know keep people up to date about what I'm doing and we were able to actually bring so for Christmas last winter last December to Virginia Beach so I was happy about that because I did a workshop at the Ziders Auditorium I mean, the Ziders the Ziders uh, American Dream Theater that's where it was and so I was able to do a workshop there and speak to them about what I may want to do and they were open to it so I was happy that they were able to, able to help co-produce so for Christmas there. And also blackbroadwaymen.org uh, mm -hmm. is a 501c3 and you can support them and it's tax deductible. So please check that out. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, Anthony, I, it's been such a pleasure catching up with you. Yeah, congratulations you're, and best of luck with everything. You're such an inspiration. I, I, I'm so proud of, uh, you know, six Broadway shows, no big. Uh, that's, it's incredibly... <laughs> It's incredibly huge. And, and beyond that, your own creativity and your own passion coming through not only Black, Black Broadway men, but um, Sylvester, it's just, and everything else you've done. And your new book that you haven't written yet called It Takes a Balance. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. I, it does, because that's true. It does take a balance. But I, I, there are times where I was like, mm, it'd be cool to write a book, you know, in time. In time, we'll see. You got a lot more stories to put in that book yet. Yeah, uh, when, when the time comes, you won't have to write it because it's already going to disappear. Yeah. Uh, understood. Understood. <laughs> I appreciate that. But, you know, it's funny. I was talking to you. I was thinking about um, Alpha Psi because I joined Alpha Psi there, too, at Shenandoah. <laughs> we all did as well. Yeah, we we're all <laughs> Alpha Psi members. Yep. So we're all connected in some we way, are. shape, or form. So I'm happy about that. I haven't paid dues in forever. So. Oh, <laughs> are there dues? You're gonna you're gonna be kicked out. <laughs> Wait a minute, there are dues. Shit. Oh uh, shit, we're all overdue. <laughs> all right, Anthony, we love you. Best of luck. Don't be a stranger, and um, we can't wait to see what is happening next with you besides tina turner and even tina turner like everything that's coming to you you deserve it all buddy you're incredible thank you so much thank you all for this opportunity thank you for this platform i'm happy to be a part i'm so happy to be uh connected to you all through shenandoah i think shenandoah is a dope school especially now uh, i think kevin covert is there making magic happen and i'm really excited to see all the new kids that are coming out i think as we try to do what we do i think it's up to us to continue to to build the platform and build the space for them to be able to run and fly as well just as much as we had the chance to back then and so i'm really grateful for everything that's happening and i just think it's just up to us to continue you know moving forward and and so i'm grateful so thank you for this thank you thank you thank you okay, and thank you thank you my friend we will talk to you soon all right have a yes. good night you too take care everyone peace bye, bye. 
thanks so much, Anthony. Um, amazing work that you're doing. I, I love everything that we talked about. I love your creativity. Um, we're such big fans of yours and are so proud of everything you're doing. Keep doing it. Keep making a difference. And I can't wait till Sylvester goes to Broadway, which it should any it minute. It will. It will, yes. Yes, thank you for sharing a, a little bit of time for us on this podcast. We appreciate you. We love you. And uh, I just remember when you came to Shenandoah, I was like, oh, wow. He is going places. You were uh, a person that I just was always fascinated with and in awe of your talents, and I still am, and I'm honored you spent time with us. Um, If anyone out there wants to know a little more about us, you can always visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an ER. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, under Connor and Smith, again with an ER. Please write, review, subscribe to this podcast, share it where you share things, post it where you post things, helps us out a lot. Please follow the Discord, join the Discord board, uh, the description, uh, the link is in the description of this podcast, and please add some songs to the Spotify playlist also in the description of this podcast. Um, Steve Jones is really gaming all of you, He he has done wonderful additions to the playlist, I know you guys can do better, come on. Come on, add some songs. Um, other than that, um, Matthew, we have a big event on Friday, which is tomorrow. Um, it'll be today when you're listening to this. We are nominated for the Bernard Ebb Songwriting Award. We might do a little uh, podcast on the journey there and the journey home. Um, yeah. We will keep you posted. And uh, we're so thrilled and honored to be nominated um, and to have a group of musicians and performers doing our work. I will capture that on uh, video for our YouTube channel. Um, We're so honored. And anyway, uh, we will see you for another episode on Saturday and maybe a bonus episode to follow. So thanks for listening. We appreciate all of you. Good night. Good night.